Good morning, everybody. Glad you are here today. You might not be, but I'm glad you're here today. You know, if you uh, were with us last week, you heard me say that that song is my theme music for when I'm in rebel mode. And the series that we're in right now has gotten me in rebel mode. So I had to break out my rebel dudes, you know, my duds and uh, my outfit. And this morning I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm not even shaving. I didn't shave. And I rode my bike here this morning. Take a look at this. Yeah. Felt so good to have the wind blowing through my hair. It was awesome. Now, if you are a guest with us, you might uh, be wondering, what in the world kind of church did you just walk into, and what's up with that crazy pastor on stage? Well, let me take a little bit of this off, and uh, let me try to explain what we're doing. Today, we're in part two of a series called Rebel, and what we learned last week is all of us are a little bit rebellious. All of us our rebels. We all have a little bit of that in us, whether we're the outright arrogant rebel and we say, like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Or maybe our personality is a little more passive. Maybe we're the passive aggressive rebel. Or maybe we're that subtle rebel where people look like really hard and say, like, it's hard to tell that you're a rebel, but if they could see our hearts, they would know there's rebellion in us. And then there's some of us that are the, the rebel with a cause to fight for. Like we always have some cause, always something that we're fired up about. And like, we're trying to rally the troops. We got a soapbox to stand on and we want people to follow us because we've got a, a cause. All of us, no matter what your personality, we all have a little bit of rebel in us. And if you think back through your life, there are moments, there are weekends, there are seasons where you and I say, you know what, I, I don't care. I don't care that it's not good for me. I don't care that, that there's consequences for this. I, I don't care that, that I could get in big trouble. That doesn't bother me. In fact, it kind of excites me because I'm a rebel and I'm just going to do this wrong thing. And even if that's not our normal MO, even if like we go like, I don't normally do that, but you know, like this weekend I'm gonna, we all have moments where we just do that rebellious thing. So this series really does apply to all of us, no matter what your personality is. Last week, we started our journey of looking at the arrogant outright rebel when we looked at the story of Cain and Abel. And we watched with Cain how he didn't respond to God's grace. God gave him a second chance. He didn't respond to that. God gave him a second chance to make things right and to fix some things that were going on in his heart. He didn't respond to that. And what happened is his rebellion led to the death of his brother. He got so angry, so jealous that he killed his brother because he couldn't control his rebellion. And that's the thing that we learned is that our rebellion always leads to some sort of death. Uh, in that case, it was a real death. In many cases, it's a relational death. There's a death between us and the people that we love. There's a death between us and the God who loves us. Our rebellion always leads to some sort of death. Then last week, we also learned that our rebellion not only has the ability to lead us away from God, and we all understand that. We've, we've seen that in Cain's story. We've seen that in our own stories. But surprisingly, our rebellion has the ability to lead us back to God if we'll let it, if we will stop 
if we'll, we'll look at the path that we're on and recognize, like, I, I've gotten off God's path. Like, I made that decision to get off God's path, but I need to stop because I don't want, I don't want to go farther down this path. I don't, I don't want to have a, a relational death to occur in my world. If we'll stop, we'll humble ourselves, we'll come to God and say, God, like, I, I'm sorry. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. We can get that from God, and God will help us to get back on the right path, and God can help us fix the stuff that we've damaged. Now, today, we're going to learn that not all rebels look the same. And we have a stereotype in our mind when we look at rebels, and we say, you know what? Rebels all act the same way. They, they all dress the same way. They all do the same kind of things. But what we're going to learn today is that sometimes it's hard to tell when someone's being a, a rebel. Sometimes it's hard to tell when we are being a rebel. Now, our Bible story for today took place a little over 3,000 years ago in the Middle East, and it centers on two people, Samuel and Saul. So we're going to look at those uh, two guys in this story today. And at that time, God had freed the nation of Israel from 400 years of slavery, and he had brought them to what was called the promised land. So God said, listen, I'm going to give you some land. And they were super excited about that. And God had used all kinds of amazing leaders to get them to that spot. Leaders like Moses, leaders like Joshua, leaders like Deborah, leaders like Gideon. And at the time, God was using Samuel as his spokesperson to lead the nation of Israel. And Samuel was a prophet. He was a priest. He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a big political leader. Uh, He was and he always had been a faithful servant of God. So whatever God asked him to do, that's what Samuel did. And I think that's why God chose him. He said, listen, Samuel will do what I want him to do. And so Samuel, I need you to lead the nation of Israel. Well, the nation of Israel looked around them at the time. They saw other nations that were around them. And they said, you know what? All the other nations have a king to lead them. And we don't. We don't have a king. And we're not super excited about, you know, just being represented by Samuel. You know, it's a little embarrassing when we show up with other nations. They say, who's your king? And we're like, we don't have one. They're like, you don't have a king. Why don't you have a king? And so we really want a king. And they went to Samuel and said, hey, we need a king. Basically, what they were saying to Samuel was, you're not good enough. You're just a prophet. Like, we're a little tired of you leading us. And we're a little tired of God speaking to you to speak to us. Like, that's getting a little old. And so we're we're really kind of tired of God leading us as well. So they were not only rejecting Samuel in that moment, they were also rejecting God. They persisted. And finally, God said, all right, I'm going to give you a king. You know what a king will do to you? Samuel gave him a warning, but I'll, I'll give you a king. So he brought along a guy by the name of Saul. Now, when the nation of Israel saw Saul, they were very impressed. He stood head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. I mean, he was one big dude. He was tall. He was muscular. He was handsome. They saw him and went, he's the king. I mean, can you imagine we're going to walk into battle with him at the front? I mean, all the other nations are going to fear and tremble when they look at, at Saul. He's such a big guy. So they said, hail to the king. And Samuel anointed him as the first king of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, uh, Samuel said to Saul, he said, uh, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. Amalek, you know what? I always mess that one up, and I I practiced really hard, too. Um, So the Amalekites, how about that? For opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Now let's pause for a moment and answer the question that that many of you might be thinking. Why would God ask Saul to wipe out an entire nation? I mean, that just doesn't seem like something a, a God of love would do. So why would he do that? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Amalekites. They were known as a nomadic desert tribe. They would roam the desert. They would attack and kill and plunder anybody they could overpower. So everybody was a little bit nervous around. If you can imagine a group of gypsies, you know, I don't want to say gypsies are are all bad, but they would take the gypsy concept and then they would move it to, hey, violence and we're going to kill you. We're going to take what you have and then we're going to disappear into the desert. And so everybody's a little bit alarmed about the Amalekites and, and what they could do and what they had done to the Israelites. So when God was taking the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land, there were about 2 million of them on this road trip. You can imagine that some of them were straggling behind. So the Amalekites came up and killed the Israelites who were straggling behind. And Moses, uh, the leader of the nation of Israel, for a significant portion of their journey, he said in Deuteronomy 25, before dying to, to the next leaders of Israel, he said, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Therefore, When the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land, he is giving you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven. Never forget this. So God decided it was time to settle accounts, and he used Saul to do that. So Saul mustered up an army, over 200,000 warriors. They went into battle with God's help. They wiped out the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15, verse 8 says this, he, king, which meant King Saul, captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men, remember that, that's going to be an important thing that we come back to in a minute. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. That doesn't sound exactly like what God had asked them to do. God said, listen, wipe out everyone and everything. So in verse 11, God said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved that when he heard this, that he cried out to the Lord all night. Verse 12. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up, get this, a monument to himself. So Saul wins the battle and he goes, man, I am bad to the bone. Did you just see what I did? He goes, hey, I think we should go set up a monument to me. I'm like, I'm pretty big stuff. 
He didn't set up a monument to God. It was to himself. In verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Samuel demanded, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Now, Saul is going to respond in a way that most of us are not going to understand. So let me read it, and then I'll explain to you what's going on here. In the first part of verse 15, Saul said, It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. Now, let me explain what's happening. In ancient Bible days, when a leader didn't want to take responsibility for something that had happened, they would blame someone else. And like I know, it's hard to imagine that ever happening. I mean, we, we cannot imagine that today, right? I mean, you know, imagine a political leader trying to do that or a religious leader or an, a professional athlete saying, hey, it wasn't my fault, it was somebody else's fault. I know we can't imagine that ever happening today. So you understand I'm being sarcastic because we see it all the time. I mean, you probably saw it on Facebook last night. Uh, we see it everywhere. People are always blaming other people for the stuff that they've done wrong. And what's worse than that is when we try to do that. And I, I know you have this tendency, because I have this tendency, to blame other people. Say, you know, it wasn't really my fault. It was you know, my parents' fault. It wasn't really my fault. It was my spouse's fault. Or it was my kid's fault. Or it was my teacher's fault or my coach's fault. You know, maybe it was society's fault. If society, you know, weren't, weren't this way, then I wouldn't have done what I've, I've done. Or, you know what, maybe it's God's fault probably his fault. You know, he, he knew us. He knew how we'd behave. He knew what I would do in this moment. So, you know, somehow it's probably God's fault. And so Saul said, it's my army's fault. And then he did something else. He tried to make it sound better than it was. And you've probably never done that. I, I'm sure I never have either. Saul said, Samuel, don't get your boxer shorts in a wad. If you read the Hebrew, it's not in there. So don't look for it. He said, they, my, my army, they're going to sacrifice all these animals to the Lord your God. Like, we've destroyed everything else. Have you ever watched someone who was about to get in trouble think quickly on their feet to come up with a new idea to try to make it sound better? Have you ever done that? I know I have. That's what Saul's doing right here in this moment. And Saul had no intentions of sacrificing these animals and this stuff to God. Verse nine told us that. I mean, they kept all the stuff that appealed to them, that looked really good to them. I think they're thinking like, hey, this is awesome. We're gonna keep all this, this plunder. So Saul was doing what we call stretching the truth. Or more plainly, he was lying. He was lying to keep himself out of trouble. God knew what he was doing. Samuel knew what he was doing. So in verse 16, Samuel responded with one word. He said, stop. Just stop. We said last week that our rebellion has the ability to lead us back to God, but only if we stop. I think that's what Samuel was saying to Saul. Saul, here's a perfect opportunity for you, a beautiful opportunity for you to get back on God's path, but, but you're going to have to stop. You've got to stop doing what you're doing. You gotta stop making up all these stories, stretching the truth. You gotta stop lying. That was the only way for Saul's rebellion to lead him back to God. Same is true for us. In order for our rebellion to lead us back to God, we have to stop. 
We have to stop lying, stop cheating, stop rationalizing, stop cutting corners, stop stretching the truth, stop blaming others. We have to stop flirting with sin and saying, it's okay, everybody's doing it. We have to stop acting like Christ followers on Sunday and then the rest of the week acting like we don't even know who he is. We have to stop talking nice to our boss's face and then trashing him when he or her turns around. We have to stop telling our parents one thing and then doing another. We just have to stop. So Samuel said to Saul, you just have to stop. And then he continued in verse 17. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why'd you rush in for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? And in verse 20, Saul held his position and insisted, but I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the plunder so we could sacrifice to the Lord your God. So even after being confronted, Saul held tightly to his rebellion, but this time, if you noticed, he let a little bit more of the truth slip out. So he said, listen, I've done everything that God's asked me to do. Okay, except... I let King Agag live. Our God's a gracious God. I'm, I'm sure he'll be okay with it. I mean, I'm sure he'll overlook that small little thing. It's not that big of a deal. And of course, I let the best of the cattle and the sheep and the goats live, but we're gonna sacrifice them. It's all gonna be good. And the plunder, all the good stuff, you know, that we were gonna keep for ourselves. You know, we came up with a better idea. We're gonna sacrifice it to God. So what's the big deal? The big deal is, When we give in to our rebellion like that, start believing our own lies, we're not sure what the truth is anymore. It's hard to tell what the truth is when we give in to rationalizing, stretching the truth, lying to ourselves on such a consistent basis. After a while, we're like, I'm not even sure what's true anymore. So that was the position for Saul. He wasn't even sure what his motives were. He wasn't even sure what truth was in that moment. God knew. Samuel knew. They knew what Saul was doing. So in verse 22, Samuel asked a very profound question. I think this is a question that we should answer on a regular basis. He said, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your your obedience to his voice? Listen, Saul. I think he would say to all of us, listen, epic Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So Samuel was trying to tell Saul, and he's trying to tell us as well, that obeying God is always better than trying to get on God's good side, saying like, hey, like, I know I messed up, but like, aren't you happy with this? I mean, look what I'm doing here. Look the way I'm sacrificing for you here. Like, isn't this enough? Isn't this okay? But God made it very clear. Our obedience is more important to him than anything we could ever sacrifice for him. You know, one of the things I love about reading the Bible is that it is so applicable to my life today. 
We've got this statement over 3,000 years ago, and, and sometimes we have this tendency to believe, oh, the Bible was written so long ago, like I'm not even sure there's anything in it that would apply to me. Let me show you how this 3,000-year-old statement can apply to us. There are times that people tell me something like this. They'll say, listen, like, if I win the lotto, I'm going to give lots of money to the church. I mean, I'll, I'll give probably 10% of that or more to the church. And let me be clear about this. If you ever feel the, the compulsion to donate large amounts of money to our church, I will not say no. <laughs> All right? If you like, want to donate large amounts of money to me, I, like, I, will, I will not turn you down for that. Okay? I think there's a lot of good things that we can do with, with that money. But when somebody says that to me, what starts rolling in the back of my mind is, I wonder, I wonder if that person is obeying God with what he's already asked them to do. Now, if you're a Christ follower, this applies to you. If you're not a Christ follower, you can go, sigh of relief. What I'm about to say doesn't apply to you, okay? If you're a Christ follower, God's expectation is that you'll give back to him 10% of your regular income through a local church. And so I wonder... When somebody says that, I wonder if they're doing that right now. I wonder if they're already obeying God. And they might be, but I just wonder if they're already obeying God. Because God says to us, obedience is better than sacrifice. Writing uh, whatever 10% of your income back to God in a check or however you do that online is better than giving millions of dollars to God if you're not already obeying what God asks some people say, I, I know God isn't really happy about the relationship I'm in right now, uh, but I'm trying really hard to get my boyfriend or my girlfriend to believe in God. So you know, if that happens, I'm sure God will overlook you know, like what he's not happy about in our relationship. And God will be super thrilled if my boyfriend or my girlfriend believes in him. And to that, God says obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes people say, I know I'm cutting a few corners at work, but I'm not really doing anything unethical. It's, it's kind of a gray area, but it's going to lead me to where I want to be. It's actually going to lead me to a place I think God wants me to be. So I think God will overlook like how I got there as long as I got there in a spot where I can you know, start doing some stuff that he wants me to do. And to that, God says obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes Christ followers try to convince ourselves that even though God may not be super happy about how we're living as his representatives to the world, he, maybe he's happy enough. You know, we, we say, you know, I, I know I'm not reading the Bible enough, but, but I read it occasionally, and I know I'm, I'm probably not living the best example at work or at school, but, but like I do some good things, you know, there, and I try to tell people about Jesus every once in a while, and like I know I don't pray like I should, but I talk to God sometimes. I don't serve enough, but, you know, I do some stuff here and there, and, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. God knows I'm super busy. I know I'm not doing everything God wants of me, but at least I'm doing something. And, I, you know, it's easy to look around us and go, like, at least I'm not that person. I mean, you're like, that person, I'm better than them, at least. And we try to convince ourselves that doing the, the bare minimum of what God asks is good enough. To that, God says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Another truth tied to that one is this. Let this sink in for a moment. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. God doesn't want us just doing a part of what he's asked. He wants us to do all 
of what he's asked. So back into our story. In verse 23, Samuel makes this bold statement. Samuel says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Now the Bible is really clear. Uh, There's no uh, form of witchcraft that's good in God's eyes. God says, listen, I want you to avoid all forms of witchcraft. And what God does from his perspective, he says to us, rebellion, any form of rebellion is put on the same level as witchcraft. That's a big deal. And then the next statement is super humbling to me. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Anybody struggle with stubbornness in your life? Okay, I like everybody should have their hand up because you were two at one time in your life. You know, like, you know two-year-olds have a problem with, with stubbornness. So we've all been stubborn at some point. But you know, I was reading this and like feeling just that, that um, conviction of God to understand that in those moments that I'm stubborn, and I'm not talking about, you know, like holding on with perseverance to do something good. I'm talking about that stubbornness, like I'm not going to do the right thing, or I'm not going to say I'm sorry, or I'm not going to work that out, or I'm not going to do what God wants. That is as bad as if I get in my uh, living room in the morning and bow down and worship a piece of wood on the wall. It's as bad as that. So that's what God thinks about our rebellion and our stubbornness. It's a big deal. Should be a big deal to us as well. Now, with all of our rebellion, there are consequences. Even consequences for passive rebellion. In those moments where it's like, yeah, I'm doing most of what God wants, but not all of what, what God wants. There's still consequences that come. In verse 23, Samuel tells Saul about those consequences for him. It says, because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Watch how Saul responds in verse 24. It says, it's a moment where, where he could allow his rebellion to drive him back to God, but watch what he does. He says, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, but watch how he finishes the sentence. That I've disobeyed God's command uh, for, or another word you could use there is because, because I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Even in his apology, he's blaming other people. It's not my fault. Like I would have done everything, but the people demanded, so I gave in and I did what they asked. And so he held tightly to his rebellion. He refused to take full responsibility for his actions, and that's what eventually led God to taking the kingdom from him and handing it to someone else, someone that you might have heard of before, a young shepherd boy named David, a little guy that killed Goliath. And if you know David's story, you know he wasn't perfect. What God said about David is, David will do what I ask. And so he gave the kingdom to David. Okay, for all of us, the, the question as we're uh, reading these stories is, like, where do I fit in this story? And what can I do with this? Like, what's my takeaway? What can I walk out of here with and say, like, I got to wrestle with this this week? Like, if we just read a Bible story and don't try to find ourselves in this story, we're, we're missing out on the application point. The whole point of the story is for God to say to us, like, what do you need to work on? And for us to really look at that. So I've got some closing questions for us. Here's the first one. Are you fully obeying God or are you partially obeying him? Remember, partial obedience is still disobedience. So is there anything in your life where you are partially doing what God wants? In your relationships, are you fully 
obeying God in those relationships? Or is there a part of your relationship or is there a relationship that you need to make some serious changes in? At work, are you fully doing what God wants? Or are you cutting corners, doing some things that you you just know, if you were honest with yourself, God's not happy with? Do you need to make some changes at work? How about at home? Are you fully doing what God asks of you as a a husband, a father, a parent, a child, a spouse? Or are you doing the bare minimum of what God asks of you? Now, I got to tell you, as I go through these messages and uh, as I think through most of our series, I find myself in these stories all the time. And there's always something God says to me. And there's moments I'm like, okay, Lord, like let up a little bit. Like, wow, this is a lot. And I found myself in this story. And I had to be honest that I have been in some ways partially obeying God. That's not okay. So I have to make some changes in how I interact with my God, how I interact with my family some things that God has shown his spotlight of truth into my life, and I've said, I need to deal with some of that. But what about you? Like, what might God be speaking to you about today? As you evaluate your own life, is there anything you need to change? Is there anything you need to stop? Are you involved in anything that you know God just shines the light and says, stop? That thing needs to stop. Do you need to stop lying? You've been stretching the truth so long, you're not even sure what really is true anymore. Do you need to stop cheating, rationalizing, blaming others for your rebellion? Do you need to stop walking down that path away from God? Do you need to stop some of your stubbornness? What might you need to stop? What do you need to to do as you look at your life and evaluate what is going on? In a moment, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna close us out in the final song. And as they do that, I encourage you to take this opportunity. Use this, this moment of this song. It's a powerful song. It's a song where we say, Lord, like, speak to me. Here's my heart, speak to me. Like, will you be courageous enough to say, God, like, I need you to speak to me and point out those areas where I might be a partial rebel. I might be a passive rebel. Like, I may be doing a lot of good stuff, but there may be some stuff that you're saying, That's what I want you to focus on. I want you to do all that I've asked you to do. If you need prayer during this time, uh, like we did last week, uh, we're gonna have some people in this back corner and they're gonna have a sticker on their shirt that says prayer. So if you just need to pray with someone, I encourage you, as we start this song, just get up and and head in that direction and just find somebody with a sticker on their shirt and just say, please pray with me. They would love to do that. So uh, I'm gonna pray. Our worship team is gonna come out. And let's all have an evaluation of our lives and have a conversation with the creator of the universe. So let's pray together. God, we understand that all of us are rebels. Some of us are that that arrogant, outright, I'm gonna do the wrong thing no matter what kind of rebel. Others of us are kind of a passive rebel that... We're like, yeah, I'm going to do most of what God wants, but I'm not going to do all of what God wants. 
And Lord, I, I thank you for the stories you captured in the Bible for us. Lord, uh, just reading Saul's story is just like reading something on Facebook or Twitter today. It's like just as relevant today as when it was written. And there's something that applies to all of us. So Lord, for those of us here today who may be wrestling with this whole issue of passive rebellion, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. I pray that we would stop. We would stop rationalizing. We would stop lying. We would stop blaming other people. We would just stop and listen to you. And then God, I pray that we would do what you're asking us to do. It's a moment where our rebellion has the opportunity to lead us back to you if we'll let it. So Lord, I pray today this will be the moment that many of us will. We'll say, I'm not going down this path anymore. I'm going to turn. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to ask God to teach me how to, to do all that he's asked me to do. So Lord, empower us, I pray. I pray that we would have humble hearts as we listen to you. Speak to us. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Woo, that's right. So 13 people went out there and braved the cold water and the undertow just to make the public declaration that they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they went out and the, you know, the weather wasn't ideal, but what a great day. So once again, congratulations to the 13 of you that came out. Really, really excited for you. So great job. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris, for those of you that don't know me, and welcome to Epic Church. We're excited to have you with us. If you're new here today and you get a chance after service, pop on over to our connections table. Uh, we'll have some people there to uh, either answer any questions that you may have or just get an opportunity to meet you personally. We'd like to be able to do that. Last week, I talked about an intro meeting for our starting point and our next step groups. So if you signed up for that and you have not gotten your materials yet, our pad, one of our pastors, Tim Jones, will be at the connections table after the service and he'll have your materials. So please see Tim after the service to grab those materials. If you look on your seats real quick, you're going to see a piece of paper. This talks about our 2016 epic trip to Israel. We're going to have a guide with us that's been there over 100 times, so this is really, really exciting. This talks about the meeting that's going on today, okay, at 3 o'clock at 47 Wellesley. You do not need to commit to go to the trip to go to this meeting. It is open to everybody. So whether or not you're really interested or you're just kind of kicking the tires, getting some understanding about what's going on, I encourage you, pop on into this meeting. It'll get all your questions answered. You may or may not have noticed on the way in, we had a table set up with a bunch of brown paper bags, and that's for our food drive that's going on in April for the Grace Community Food Pantry. And we're excited to partner with them uh, because they do so much. They give to hundreds, literally hundreds of families throughout the, each and every month here in Flagler. So we have another opportunity to partner with them, and that's through their charity golf tournament. So if you play golf or you just hit the ball around and call it golf, you're still welcome to come. It'll be on May 2nd. It's a Saturday. Grab a flyer on the way out from the connections table. It's going to lay out all the details for you and get involved. And once again, all the proceeds go to stocking the shelves at the food pantry. So it's a great, great cause. If you've been coming to Epic for a while and you call Epic home and you've made that leap of faith to set aside a portion of your finances to give back to what we do here at Epic, here in Flagler County and internationally, Thank you for your generous donations. We appreciate it. If you want to continue to do that, or you've recently taken that step and, and want to make that commitment, there's two ways that you can give. First off, you can visit our website, which is 
www.theepicchurch.com. You can click on the giving tab and you can donate electronically or we've provided giving boxes that are set up at tables in the back of the seating sections. You can utilize those. As you can see, I'm still celebrating 3G Saturday, although it is Sunday. I'm still wearing my shirt, and yes, it is clean. So if you smell something, it's not me. It's the person next to you. So we had over 100 people come out and give a portion of their Saturday to go out and just give back to the community. So it was a great job by everybody who went out there. And and we're going to bring up some slides. I'm just going to highlight a couple of the things that were done. And uh, first off, we sent a team out to the... Uh, the Alpha Pregnancy Center thrift store. And it was kind of hard to see from the road. They had like these 15-foot palmettos that were blocking the view. And our team went in there and just demolished everything. They did a great job. They helped stock some shelves and get the store all set up. And the director over there said, man, I don't know what I would do without you guys. It's just a great job. I can't express enough thanks. And all the uh, proceeds from the thrift store go to help people involved with the Alpha Pregnancy Center. So thank you to that team. In addition, we went over to one of our partners, Habitat for Humanity. They had a build going on, and our epic team assisted in putting siding on an entire home in two and a half hours. They crushed it. Yeah, they crushed it, man. They were quick over there. So I want to say thank you to them. Thank you to Chick-fil-A and our team that served lunch. You were just as equally as important as the people that were putting on the siding. So great job to everybody over there. What about the group of people that went over to the Windsor? You know, this is the, uh, the semi-retirement community, the assisted living uh, facility. We went over there, adults and kids, and said, we're going to go and entertain and interact with these people. And they did a great job of that. But what turned out to be really cool is that there was a retired art teacher there. And instead of us continually to, uh, you know, pour our love on them, this art teacher gathered some of the kids around and said, go ahead and draw just a line on a piece of paper, a squiggly line, a straight line, whatever you want. So the kids were getting real crazy and drawing all sorts of stuff. And this art teacher then made a cartoon out of it. So these kids were just like sitting around the table. So instead of us going to pour out into them, they started pouring out back into us. So, you know, you kind of give what you get. And it was just a great time over there at the Windsor. So they had a, they had a really good experience. We also had a team go over to Flagler Beach to show the community over there that we value the things that they value. And one of those things is the beach, and we like to keep our beaches beautiful. So some of our epic team members went out and walked two miles in the sand, in the hot sand, and cleaned up cigarette butts and trash and just helped to keep our beaches clean. So wonderful, wonderful job. And a lot of people at the beach and other places were saying, what are you guys doing here? What's this all about? And our team members at all of the different projects got to share what we are at Epic, what we're all about, and get to invite them to come as well. And lastly, we had a, we had a big group go out to Grace Community Food Pantry, and they helped. They served some coffee and pastries and helped with the food distribution. And Pastor Charles over there said this. He said, quote, I don't know what we would do without Epic. And, you know, just let that resonate with you for a moment because we, you know, we, we don't, when we talk about giving, we don't always talk about just giving your money. We talk about your time, your talents, your resources, and, and to be able to get out and give the way we give and for people to depend on us to do that, I just think God's smiling completely right now. So give yourself a round of applause, everybody that got involved in 3G Saturday. We thank you so much for your generous donation of your time. And uh, I know some of you are probably sore. I'm a little sore myself, but that's okay. We'll get past it. So go ahead and watch this video and Trent's going to